Welcome to Success Hackers, Cracking the Entrepreneurial Code, the podcast that's focused on empowering entrepreneurs to find the edge and take their business to a whole nother level. We're peeking behind the curtain to learn entrepreneurial shortcuts and success strategies from the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Get ready for mind-blowing entrepreneurial tips with your host, high-performance business coach, keynote speaker, and author, Scott Hansen. Showtime in three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Success Hackers. This is Scott Hansen, high-performance business strategist, best-selling author, speaker, and of course, podcast host right here on Success Hackers. It's on Success Hackers that we are all about empowering you our entrepreneurial audience, to help you take your business to entirely new heights. We do that by interviewing some of the most talented entrepreneurs on the planet. For all you loyal Hacker Nation listeners, you know I love you guys. Thanks so much for continuing to listen to the show, subscribe to the show, and forward the show on social media. I see you guys doing it, and I cannot thank you enough. It's because of you, our loyal Hacker Nation listeners, Success Hackers continues to grow rapidly and make a major impact in the lives of other entrepreneurs all over the world. So thanks for continuing to do that. Oh, for whatever reason, if you haven't yet listened to the last episode, make sure to go back because we had Jurgen Apello on the show and Jurgen shared with us how to create a winning team and a culture that your employees are bought into. So if you want to go back and learn more about how to become a better leader, make sure to check out my interview with Jurgen. And as always, if you want to ask a question on the show, please feel free. It's an open forum. You can ask me any question that you want to ask, even if you have questions to say, hey, Scott, would love for you to ask these types of questions to your esteemed guests. I'll take that into consideration, and if we decide that it makes the best sense for the show, we'll definitely go ahead and, uh, and put that into the rotation. So if you want to do that, make sure to email me at info at successhackers.net, info at successhackers.net. Hacker Nation, let's get down to business. We're about to chat with someone who is out front when it comes to disrupting industries. Today, our featured guest is Mr. Eric Scheinkopf. Eric, are you ready to rock? Uh, you know I am. Very excited to be here. Eric Scheinkopf builds 21st century solutions for antiquated industries ripe for disruption. His first company, Music Dealers, delivered over $15 million to independent artists, around the world, transforming traditional industry norms and listed in the Esteem Inc. magazine's fastest-growing private companies in America. He's also a published author, having written Return of the Hustle, The Art of Marketing with Music, became the number one new release in music and number one new release in business communications on Amazon. His latest venture, Desire List, is set to continue his trend of successful tech-based platforms with a focus on the retail industry and, in particular, transforming the way people give and receive gifts. Eric Scheinkopf, welcome to Success Hackers. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it. Looking forward to being there. Absolutely. Well, Eric, I gave our Hacker Nation listeners just a little information about you, but would love for you to share a little bit more about you and your business. Sure. So... Started uh, the entrepreneurial journey um, at the old age of six with a lemonade stand. And, you know, really, I, I do look back at that experience uh, from six to ten and learning the process. And, and uh, I carry that 
those learnings with me today and everything that I do. Um, ended up by uh, 11 years old with a number of different, you could call them, you know, franchises of lemonade stands all around the, the Lincoln Park neighborhood in Chicago. Um, and then in high school, I started a record label. Uh, and 1999, right when we were launching the record label, was the year that Napster came out and completely ended what we know to be the record label. And the music industry, so it was very uh, it was very interesting to have everything that you know just be shattered overnight with a new technology as it entered the market. Um, luckily, I was in university at that time, uh, starting. I was a freshman, and I got to sit back and watch uh, what was happening with the disruption in the industry and and partake in it and, and kind of have a front row seat and see where there was going to be opportunity. Um, and it led to my understanding that in, in music, um, there was really no more sales of music. Anybody my, my year or below, we were growing up with the notion that music was free and that you didn't have to pay for it. But there is obviously a need to pay uh, for the creation of music. Otherwise, nobody's going to be able to afford to create it. So looking for what that solve was and that solution, um, I realized that people still paid for live entertainment um, and they also paid to license music into television commercials and movies and TV shows and video games. And so that's where I uh, concentrated my efforts, um, created a database. I started one artist at a time. I ended up rapping on a McDonald's commercial in the most bizarre scenario ever, um, but it's <laughs> It's what allowed me to learn about royalties, um, the money that uh, you could earn from being in a commercial as an artist. And as that kind of rose, uh, went away the stigma of selling out or you know, connecting with brands. And it actually became more of a cool thing, a stamp of approval. So I created a ended up being the largest database of independent artists in the world, over 160 countries. Um, after a number of years growing that business out of my living room, uh, I sold part of it to the Coca-Cola company um, and ran it for a couple more years. And two years ago, um, left music dealers to start on my new venture, which is Desire List, and really seeing a lot of the similarities that happened in music happening to retail. I figured I'd uh, get in at the forefront and... and have an understanding for what the uh, the future needed. What a great background! I mean, from from franchising lemonade stands at the age of ten <laughs> in uh, in Chicago to to starting music dealers and having that be crazy successful, and now with your new venture with Desireless. So, tell us a little bit about Desireless and how did you come up with that latest concept? Sure. So, came up with the idea to create Desireless. It's a platform people could list all the things that they want: products, experiences, expenses from anywhere on the web all occasions. They could share it with the family and family through existing social networks. So it's it's somewhat like a, a uh, better functioning Pinterest for a new generation. Um, and, um, you know, we the, the first step after, after going that route and kind of thinking, this is what I need, I started to think, well, is this something that the rest of the world would actually use and something that anybody else would, would need? Um, so understanding the, the size of the market uh, and understanding the problem, we realized that you know just during the holiday, there's $200 billion a year in the U.S. spent on uh, gifts, and $63 billion is returned. So um, 
over your, you know, it's a, it's a massive uh, percentage of the gifts that we're buying, trying to be thoughtful, spending a lot of time, spending a lot of money on people don't want. It becomes a nuisance for them to return. There's an additional $14 billion of wasted gifts every year in the U.S. where people will never open them, never use them, but they don't return them. They just throw them in a closet. So not a good experience for anyone. You know, then we looked at the gift card market. Uh, $135 billion a year in the U.S. spent on gift cards, uh, a significant amount, again, never used, never redeemed. And looking at the reason why people buy gift cards is, it, you know, it's simple. It's three main things. It's I don't know what you want. I don't have time to shop for you, but I do want you to get something that you want. So it's the exact same reason um, that a platform like this started to make sense. And we joke uh, about the fact that bad giving Bad gift giving is an epidemic. It's, it's no joke. These gifting fails. It's a serious business. The cost of restocking, reprocessing, wasted inventory from a retailer's perspective of the $63 billion worth of returns, uh, very significant problem. So, you know, a lot of people will say, well, how'd you get into that from music and what's that have to do uh, with music at all? And, you know, the thing I've been doing the last 10 years um, in music was helping brands and re, uh, retailers and television networks and film studios learn from the failings of the music industry. So what I saw happened when digitalization came and products started flooding the market, we saw a massive hit to brick-and-mortar stores like Tower Records, like Blockbuster. Um, iTunes came, and everybody thought iTunes was the end-all game. Um, but what we saw is there was too much product on iTunes. There was just an overwhelming flood where people didn't really know what to listen to because the, the DJ on the radio went away the way that it you know, used to exist. Um, and what we're seeing is iTunes is, is actually very similar to Amazon. Um, and Amazon has disrupted brick-and-mortar stores in, in the retail industry, and stores are closing down and going the way of Tower Records and Blockbuster. But... What that means is Amazon isn't, you know, the end game. Amazon is the beginning, and new platforms will start to be built on top of that, just like Spotify was built on top of iTunes, and it was curated. Uh, so I got to work with Spotify for a number of years and understanding, you know, what they were building that was useful to consumers, what was useful to artists, what was useful to the label. And looking at that, it was really the curated aspect of curated commerce and the ability to listen to what your friends were listening to, share with your friends and family. Uh, so we started really building um, what I would call a Spotify for retail, mm. where you know we're curating these products to help people discover, list, and share. Well, I love that because uh, if you ask any one of my family members, I'm the guy that they get something for and I'm like, uh, can I return it? And I get that yes. <laughs> look on my face because I would absolutely, I buy into your theory so much in that. And a lot of people will say, yeah, but it takes the surprise away. And my answer to that is I don't necessarily want to be surprised if I say I want a specific shirt or a specific pair of jeans or a specific shoes and then you go out and buy me something that's not that what I wanted – <laughs> What's the point? Right. Like then I'm not going to wear it. And to your point, I'm going to put it in the closet. I think with Desire List, it takes all the guests away from it, which I love. Uh, we're going to have to be using this in my family very quickly. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to ask you um, a question. When you look at scaling a company into the seven and multiple seven figures, what are some of the key components that have to be in place in order to scale? Obviously, you have to have. You have to have a product or a service that the market buys into, that there is a need. But besides that, 
when you get inside the business, is it is it vision? Is it having goals? Is it having the right team in place? It's probably all those things. But when you look at your success over the last 10 to 15 years, what's maybe one or two things that have to be in place in order to scale? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I love so much about you know, today and technology and being able to get into a massive industry like music or retail and disrupt it is uh, the fact that you could build platforms that make it as easy as it was to scale a local lemonade stand in a neighborhood to scaling a business around the nation or around the globe. Um, and it's really just perfecting what that product is, uh, that process, and then being able to put less effort, you know, a little bit more effort with a much larger results. And I think to that point to get there, it's having the right team um, from day one who's going to help identify what the proper KPIs are that we need to be hitting every single day, every week, every month, every year uh, to ensure that we are building a, um, the right process that's going to help us scale uh, faster and faster. So I'd say one of my, my largest learnings is um, at Music Dealers, when we started, uh, it was a very passionate, very hungry, young, but um, unexperienced team in business. Uh, and throughout the years, you see where that hunger and that passion, I would put it up head-to-head -head against the most sophisticated businessman um, over and over and over. But when it comes to scaling that company, you need a different type of skill. And you do need somebody who's, you know, they, they do say, the person who takes a company to 10 million isn't the person who's going to take it to 100 million because that's a different process. Uh, that's a different team. That's a different education. That's, right. a, you know, all of that. I don't know um, that I fully buy into it's a totally different team, but I do buy into the fact that it is a different process at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and starting day one with the right goal and the right vision and saying, this is where we want to be in two years, in three years, in five years. And step by step, this is how we're going to be, we're, how we're going to get there. You're going to get there. You're going to have a much more likely chance of success by following a sophisticated plan rather than, you know, what we were doing as a very young company. I was 25 when I started Music Dealers. Was We didn't have that. We had a big vision of what we wanted to be, but we didn't have a plan on how we were going to achieve it. So every day we would go into the office and it would be brute force you know, moving forward against all odds, you know, trying to find success in the industry. And, 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 it, and it worked for a number of years. But had we had the process that um, we, could, we put in place now for Desireless, I think we would have got there much faster. You know, outside of, of creating this podcast and hosting this podcast, of course, I'm a business strategist. And I would work with my business owner clients. You'd be so surprised at, you know, they get to a certain level through sheer force. And the old saying is they work very hard in their business, but they don't know how to work on their business. And there's a great book you've probably read it a million times I have called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, which literally paints step-by-step uh, -step on how to transform from just a technician, the guy or gal that's working always in your business, to really starting to think about your business as a almost like a franchise or scalable model. If you Hacker Nation, if you haven't read The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, make sure that's a must. But I like what you said about putting things in place. And you'd be so surprised on how some business owners, they continue to hustle and hustle and grind and grind, but they don't have a strategy in place, whether it's six months, 12 months, or 24 months, to say, are we hitting the right benchmarks? Are we doing the right things? When and how do we pivot if we don't? 
And uh, I think that's a big missing component when when we're talking to business owners on how to hit the numbers that you really want to hit. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I can't say it's embarrassing the fact that we went so many years without proper KPIs um, with my first business. I just we didn't even think about them. We had our goals, but we didn't know how to measure them um, daily let alone monthly, uh, maybe quarterly. We would see how we're doing, but we didn't know where we were really missing the mark um, or how we could do more. And, you know, the, again, the whole thing about scale is once you find that, that path, you could put in a little bit more effort with a much greater result. And there was no way to do that without the, the proper KPIs in place. So, yes, 100% agree having that plan. Um, and then you see, all right, we're not hitting this, you know, particular you know, KPIs and key, per, key performance indicator. Um, and if we're not hitting that monthly, then how do we pivot? Uh, or is it not realistic that we're ever going to hit that? Um, or where can we shift effort or whatever it might be? And, and you know, I, I feel much, much better about moving forward, um, having the proper things in place uh, than we did the first time around. Yeah, and Hacker Nation, I mean, I hope you're taking some great notes because, man, Eric is dropping some serious nuggets about scaling, about the right mindset, about the right KPIs, which, again, is key performance indicators on how to grow your business, how to set the benchmarks, and these are all things that are important. And if for those of you that are listening saying, man, Scott, I, I'm a one-man band. I, I, I'm trying to do it all. I'm trying to spin all these different plates. What's maybe one strategy, or we'll get right into it right now, a success hack that you can share with someone on how to take their business to the next level? I know that's a loaded question, and you can answer probably 50 different ways, but what's one success hack that you can share with our Hacker Nation that helped you in order to get to the success that you have? Sure. I think if you look at your end goal, and that's all you're looking at, and you're saying, okay, how do I get there and just start building? So I, I love the analogy that if what we wanted to build was a car, um, you know, the way that people go about it is overwhelming. You say, okay, first I have to build the frame of the car. Then I've got to put on a steering wheel. Then I've got to put on, you know, the shocks. Then I've got to put on the wheels. Then we're going to put in some windows, the windshield, uh, the lights. Then I'm going to put in the motor. Then I'm going to put in the carburetor. And by the time that you get to a car, if you ever get there, chances are your competitors who are better equipped and more well-funded will have flying cars in the market by that time. So, you know, looking at that is overwhelming as a one-man band. However, if you look at the fact, like, I want to build a car, and you start with a skateboard, and then you attach handlebars and make it a scooter, and then you make it a bicycle, and then you make it a moped, and then a scooter, and then uh, you get to a car, the point is you're always moving forward during that journey. And you might see that, you know, the car isn't what you wanted or you have the capability to keep it going into a helicopter or whatever it might be. But looking at the bite-sized pieces that you can accomplish uh, over the next week, over the next month that will get you to that goal, uh, I find that's the most successful um, thing that you could do on a daily basis. Otherwise, it is absolutely overwhelming thinking about the end goal. Now, it's important to always have the vision in mind and what you want to get to, but it's also you know, fine to realize this is what I could do today. Um, you know, I, when, when we were building Desire List, I, I didn't start by hiring programmers. I started by, after flushing out, you know, what is this, the, 
opportunity in the market? Is it something? It was all research at first. Um, and then once we said, yes, there's actually something here, it was, okay, what is our brand going to look like? What is the design going to look like? And then not programming it at that point, but just putting it um, in a software that it looks clickable. There's no back end. It didn't cost any money. It's a free software. Uh, and just moving it forward so I could start showing people, putting it on people's phones, so letting them play with it and continuously getting um, feedback uh, and encouragement that, yes, this is something that we want to build. So if I thought about it day one, I need to build this massive social marketplace, we wouldn't have done it. But if we thought about what do we need to do today and what do we need to be in one week and what can we do every day to get there, it's, it's much more easily accomplished. Yeah, bite-sized chunks. I love yeah. how you put that. So how does the business actually make money? So there's a number of different revenue models. The most simple is the affiliate marketing. So we um, launched our beta test as, with a partnership with Amazon. Um, although you could put any product, any experience, a concert, plane tickets, hotel packages, whatever it is that you're looking for, if it's for your honeymoon or for your birthday or for graduation, um, whatever it might be. But when something is, was uh, in our beta testing uh, purchased from Amazon, Amazon would give us a kickback. So it wasn't an uh, additional fee. We don't charge anything extra. The product costs the exact same amount on our site as it does on whatever the retailer site is. Um, but because we're sending that person uh, and giving Amazon that, that extra sale, uh, they share some of that um, profit with us. So... Amazon was our first uh, partner, and then we saw that that worked. And then within the next month following that, we were able to sign up 90 other uh, retailers, including you know Sephora and some, some bigger uh, household names, and now getting into the boutique journey and everything else of that nature. Um, so that's where we'll make an affiliate fee. Mm. The, the other is the platform itself is uh, incredible real estate, uh, both for the you know, consumers and the users to help them discover and find new product of interest, but also for brands, um, they know it's it's incredible data that says, I know who this person is, what their interests are, what are the things that they're adding to their birthday list, or even we see kids making sleepover lists. So what do they want for a cool sleepover? And then you're able to bring much more meaningful, targeted. Um, advertising to those people. So it's not blanket advertising where you're just seeing whatever commercials on television. You're getting relevant product information delivered directly to you. Um, that's useful. And then the, the third is this, this data, um, you know, moving one step further, which is it's a reverse Groupon. So instead of saying, hey, doesn't everybody want this 50-inch TV today for 30% off, we could turn to Samsung and say, look, these 5,000 people have listed your 50-inch television. Um, you should give them you know, a special pricing or, or some promotion on that or something of that nature. And that data of who is asking for your product, who wants it, who's raising their hand and says, yes, I want this, it's great data for media agencies and brands to have instead of spending a ton of money um, guessing who might want their product, they know exactly who does want their product. Wow, that's fascinating. I want to shift gears uh, with you for a second. We have a segment on the show called the Fail Forward Stage where a lot of times it's it's tough to talk about because it's that failure moment that you had to go through, but I think it's also one of the most impactful questions that we ask on the show because I believe that our that our listeners are going through whatever it is that they're going through in their own business and saying, wait a second, man, if I can hear from someone that's been successful and I'm going through my stuff, well, maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So can you get vulnerable with us for a second? Absolutely. We'd be happy to. 
I believe all high performers and successful individuals look at failure maybe a little bit differently than most people. They actually use failure as what I call feedback and course correction. So take us back to one specific time. I know there's probably multiples, and every single time we have a guest on the show, they say, well, man, Scott, I've failed so many times. Which one do you want? But I want you to take us back to that one time that maybe create maybe some of the most pain in your life, but you actually learned the most from that failure and kind of launched you towards the success that you're having now. Sure. I mean, there's... As you said, many, many times that I could talk about that did make uh, me better as a, as a leader, as a businessman, as, you know, in my personal life, as our, uh, our business failed and hit and missed certain milestones and projections, how we used that um, and learned from that and became better and stronger. But the number one single, single most impactful failure in my life, without question, uh, is something I referenced earlier, which is... I was told uh, at one point by the board, um, hey, nice job. You got us to about $10 million in revenue. Thank you very much. We're now going to bring in a seasoned management team who could take us to that $100 million uh, revenue number. And that was something I didn't understand. And it was very, very, very hard. Um, and, you know, they said, we want you to continue working. We're going to, you know, have you be uh, the president of the company and, instead of the CEO, and you're going to work alongside. And, you know, it just wasn't something that I could really appreciate, although um, the learning that came from that and seeing, yeah, I wasn't as uh, professional as somebody who had, you know, 30 years more experience in business than I did. Um, you know, starting the, the company when I was 25, I didn't have any business experience. Um, there weren't certain things in place that needed to be in place. There weren't certain processes that were going to help us with that scale. Uh, so it was a really, really um, painful but really productive opportunity. And if you look at the way that, um, you know, I, I build the company now, one thing that I will say up front is, you know, our projections have to be incredibly detailed and we have to be able to back up everything. However, the one thing we know about projections is that they're not going to be right. Um, that being said, how do we monitor every day? How do we move forward every day, making sure that we are uh, going the right direction, that we are setting up the right processes, that we are, um, you know, able to protect the company overall? And uh, you know, there was a lot of a lot of um, issues with bringing in a an experienced management team into a company that we considered ourselves a very scrappy young startup. Um, and there were complications that came from it. And it's something I never want to go through again. So I will do everything uh, in my human power and ability um, to make sure the team is always aligned, to make sure that, uh, you know, we're always singing the same song in unison um, and that we're, we're, you know, prepared to take this to 100, 200, 300 million uh, ourselves. Yeah, and we always talk about how you... When you, when you have that failure moment or the moment that just punches you right in the face and you're saying, why is this happening to me? I thought I was better than that or I thought that you know things were going to line up maybe differently for me. But at the end of the day, it's amazing how we look back on those quote-unquote fail-forward moments. And those are the moments that we learn the most, not only about our business, 
but our, our, our resolve and about what we're really made out of it. And to take the learning lesson to say, okay, maybe I don't have all the answers right now. For whatever crazy reason, I'm supposed to experience this. Mm. But then as you look forward, you say, man, next time, now I've been positioned well to take on this, uh, this activity or take on this situation. And I am so much better off, so much better of a leader because of what I went through six months, six years, or 16 years ago. Would you agree? Uh, 100%. And the one thing that I will say is it is crushing. It is not yeah. just a, a hit to the face. It's like being kicked in the stomach all day, every day for a couple of months. It is not a pleasant feeling. And to go through that and get through that, you're going to be better. Eric, we are now going to enter the randomness round. It's kind of like putting you on the success hackers version of the hot seat. <laughs> Whatever is the first answer that comes to mind, just let it rip. So, Eric, Shine Cop, are you ready for the randomness round? Let's do it. Best advice you've ever received. If you do fail, it, it's not the end of the world. What's a daily habit that you do sometime throughout the day that puts you in a great frame of mind? Uh, meditate twice a day. You now own a time machine. I want you to travel back in time to when you were 25 years old again. What advice would your current self, knowing about life and business, give your 25-year-old self? Understand your margins and your direct costs and operational costs. Not having uh, an understanding between what those things are when you're launching a product, you're not going to get very far. What's the one trait that you have that's contributed mostly to your success? Belief. Belief that we can do it and achieve What's a hidden talent that you have that most people may not know about you? Breakdancing. What's one book that you've read that's made an impact on your business? I think the, the Lean Startup. If you can recommend one social media tool or overall service to our Hacker Nation community, what would that be? Uh, Envision app um, for this specific community. That's what I would recommend. That's what I was talking about that allows you to take an image, a drawing and make it clickable. And you could walk through, you could literally take a piece of paper and draw your entire app idea or your website idea and upload it, um, and make the entire thing work just off of a, a sketch. And you could do it yourself. You could do it in two hours. Eric, you are now officially off the randomness round. Hot seat. This has been yeah. absolutely incredible. Thanks so much for your time and also sharing these incredible success strategies with our Hacker Nation. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your business? Uh, Desireless.com, uh, EricScheinCup.com, although that's just on my uh, recent books right now, but will be updated. Hacker Nation, make sure to head over to SuccessHackers.net. That is SuccessHackers.net. .net for this episode. Show notes and recap from today's incredible interview with Eric, along with some other really cool brand new resources we have on the site. Oh, when you're on the site, do not forget to click the subscribe button so that you don't miss any of these newest and latest interviews here on Success Hackers. This is Scott Hansen saying thanks again for listening to another episode of Success Hackers. Until the next show, go out and live with passion.